0: Welcome to the Solopreneur Success Podcast, where successful business owners gather to share true stories and sound advice to help you start and grow your own solopreneur business. Come soar with us and design the life you love. Now, here's your host, Steve Combs. Hello,
1: solopreneurs. Today, I'm interviewing Alicia Butler-Pierre, founder and CEO of Equilibria and an expert in business infrastructure. And if you're thinking business infrastructure simply relates to facilities, technology, or transportation, this episode will prove to be quite enlightening. So let's dive in. Alicia, welcome to the show today.
2: Thank you so much, Steve. I'm really happy to be here.
1: I'm glad to have you on. And as I mentioned right just a moment ago, business infrastructure is a lot more than simply those kind of tangible things we're talking about. So right up front, let's just talk about what do you do?
2: Well, in a nutshell, I help fast-growing small companies scale with less pain, and I do that by building business infrastructure. So in a nutshell, that's what I do, Steve.
1: Yeah, and and that's exactly what our topic's going to be today is business infrastructure, and we're not, however, in this case, talking so much about like facilities and, and hardware and IT. So in your world, what does business infrastructure mean?
2: Well, I define business infrastructure as an actual system for how you link your people, your processes, and your tools to make sure that growth happens in a profitable and sustainable way. And so when I say tools, that also, that encompasses technology, obviously, but also it could include things like equipment, certain pieces of furniture. You want to make sure that you link all of those things together so that when there's a change in one, you can automatically see the impact across all other areas of your business.
1: That's great. So this is an interesting topic, but I want to just, before we dive really deep into it, how did you get involved in, in business infrastructure? I mean, I don't know a lot of people that get up and say, I'm going to go to college and I'm going to become a business <laughs> infrastructure specialist. So so what brought you to this point?
2: Right. Great point, because there is no such thing. Um, it's, I certainly did not go to school to learn this. So that's. I'm glad you brought that up. My background is actually in chemical engineering Steve. So I was working in different oil refineries and chemical plants when my in a former life, I'll say. And working as an engineer, I worked as a process engineer. And so what that meant was whenever a, whether it was certain gallons of oil or gasoline, or even if it was a chemical like Roundup, which is what I actually used to make, don't judge me. (laughs) (laughs) But let's, let's take Roundup, for example, which is a weed killer. If for some reason, if a batch of Roundup was produced and it did not meet the required specifications, as the process engineer, I had to figure out what went wrong in the process of making that particular batch to cause it to not meet specifications. So once I left that career behind and started more into the business side of everything, those process skills never left me. It's actually carried, it stayed with me throughout my career, no matter what type of work I was doing. So that's actually what my background is in.
1: So Alicia, who are your best clients and how do you actually help them? You mentioned small companies, but what does that look like for you?
2: These are small companies that are growing really fast. And they're at a point, Steve, where they have more business than they can handle. And that's when I can come in and, and it's it's usually a very easy sell at this point because they know they have to have processes and systems and that business infrastructure that we're talking about they know they have to have that in place. So these, again, are companies, they're growing fast, they're at a point where they have more business than they can handle. They also are ready to start hiring their first or maybe additional employees. But before they can start to expand their teams, they know that they have to be able to define what work needs to be done and how that work should actually be performed. And that's when, again, the processes and the systems and the the different tools and technologies that need to be used, that's when all of that starts to be clearly defined.
1: I got you. So let's say somebody comes to you brand new. First of all, how do you find your clients, number one? And I'm going to be a two-part question here. How do you find your clients? But also, once you connect with somebody and look, this is somebody I could really help and they agree, what does that process look like when you begin working with a new client? Because this is something really fascinating to me because I've never talked Mm -hmm. to anybody on this topic in this (laughs) type level of depth. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that.
2: Sure. And, and thank you so much for asking that. There are two main ways people find me. One, believe it or not, is through the world wide web. So no, I have, you're kidding. I have done so much. I've posted so much content, Steve, avidly over the past 13 years. So people find me that way. It could be a presentation that I uploaded, let's say 10 years ago. And it may not resonate when I first post something like that. So it could very easily be several years later before someone says, you know what? Oh my gosh, I'm at a point in my business where I'm ready. I understand what this means. And I understand the value that it can bring. The second way is through referrals, to be honest with you. And one thing I tell people all the time, and I'm sure you can attest to this, Steve, for those who think social media doesn't matter, and that is just a, a another tool or or vehicle to that just absorbs and consumes so much of your time. Think of it this way. You have to stay in front of your people. You have to stay in front of your tribe. Social media provides a platform for you to do just that. Because here's the thing at the end of the day, as you know, people work with those that they know, like, and trust, right?
1: That's right.
2: The more people see you, the more you come up in their feeds, whether we're talking about LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, you name it, the more they see you and your content, the more they feel as though they know you. And because I'm seeing Steve and his content about solopreneur success and start grow sore, I feel as though I know you now, Steve. And because I know you, I like you, And then trust is only a matter of us maybe getting on the phone together or emailing each other or direct messaging each other on one of these social media platforms. So those are the two ways that people usually come to me. It's through a referral or some piece of online content that they've seen.
1: And I know you I gave you a two-part question, but I want to expand upon your answer a little bit because you mentioned social media. And a lot of people were like, Okay. I don't really have time for that. I'm just curious. Do you do all your own social media? Do you have help with that? How do you keep up with it?
2: I do have help. I do have a social media management company that helps me. And every Monday morning I submit to them guidelines for, okay, this is the type of content that I want to have posted across all of the platforms this week. However, I still post my own personal content on LinkedIn my company's page on LinkedIn, the company does all that for me, but nothing is posted without my approval first. So I know that's a concern for a lot of people who are probably listening. You don't have to give up that control. You can still put some, some quality assurance and quality control measures in place to make sure that whatever is put out there really does reflect your thoughts, your views, your opinions, as well as your actual voice.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you said that, because that, that's actually something I'm looking at right this week as we record this interview, and I'm looking into social media, kind of bring in more content to the world to help more people. And this is a question that's been on top of mind, so I appreciate you answering that. It's just curious, how long does it actually take you on a weekly basis? How much time do you spend in social media personally, then?
2: Okay, so here's the answer that people may not want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> I spend, and this is honestly, even with having help, I still spend anywhere from five to six hours minimum. And here's the reason why, Steve, you know how growing up, I'm sure, did you hear this? The three R's reading, writing, and arithmetic? Yes. So I tell people you still have to apply those same things as a, even if you're, whether you're a solopreneur, an entrepreneur with a small team, or you're a corporate executive, try to write something every single day. Writing something, even on LinkedIn, that's getting your, it's giving you an opportunity to continuously sharpen your saw, right? So make sure you write something. It doesn't have to be a long drawn out blog post. It could just be a very simple, concise post that you put somewhere on social media. As far as reading, read something, whether it's a chapter in a book, an article or a newsletter that you've received, make sure you're reading. And arithmetic, measure something every day. What are the powerful metrics in your business that are letting you know whether or not you're on track? It could be for all of us, (laughs) regardless of what your industry is, you have to make sure you're making money. So that could be a metric that you may measure on a daily basis, or if not weekly or monthly. But practice those three R's every single day and then tally that up, especially with the writing portion and watch how much time you've spent on social
1: media. Yeah, that's great advice. And I love the way you presented that. And it just makes sense. I mean, if, if you're reading things too, you can share what you're finding that's helpful yes. to other people in your network. And that's always going to be powerful because then you're aiding other people. And that's again helping that, you know, no like and trust factor as you interact with people in your network. That's awesome. So let's go back to that second part of the question I kind of interrupted there, but I okay. love this little segue <laughs> okay. here. Let's say somebody finds you and say, okay. okay, I need to work with Alicia. She can help me with my company. How does that process get started?
2: So it usually starts with a phone call. We'll have a very quick, and I'm, I know what questions to ask Steve to really get to the heart of a situation, and within usually a 15-minute time period, which may sound really short, but when you've been doing, and as for anyone who's good at whatever it is that they do, you know what questions to ask to quickly draw a conclusion as to what direction to lead someone in. So it starts with a phone call, and then usually the next step is some type of an assessment where we, for two weeks, take a deep dive into all aspects of your company. We're looking underneath the hood. We're looking behind the curtain, the things that other people don't see, but I want to see because I want to truly get an understanding of what are your records management systems? How is your workspace laid out? What processes and procedures do you have documented, if any? What job descriptions do you have? Do you have an organizational chart? We take a look at all of those different things. And based on where your company is, we then make a very specific custom set of recommendations and lay out a plan of action for moving forward. Whether you decide to move forward with my company or not, you at least have that detailed blueprint for how to get your business infrastructure in place.
1: Oh, that's great. I'm just curious because I love to ask you kind of like off the wall questions, but we always talk <laughs> about, you know, who's your best client. Tell me about a client that you said, that that's the person I'm not going to work with. <laughs> you has to somebody come to you saying, this is not going to be a good fit. And I'm just not going to say yes.
2: To be honest with you, and this is us being entrepreneurs by nature, we're we're all over the place. <laughs> yeah, it's sure. very hard. It's very difficult to nail us down and to get us to focus on something for an extended period of time. Those can be the more challenging types of clients. However, if they're in a situation, again, where they know, oh my gosh, I don't get some help in here soon, we're going to implode. That's an issue that not a lot of people think about. We're always focused on bringing in more business. But what happens, Steve, when you have too much and you aren't able to actually deliver your goods and services in a consistently and high quality manner? You can lose the business that way as well. So for those who tend to a lot of I've worked with so many people who have self-diagnosed themselves as having ADHD or, you know, they just can't sit still for a long period of time. And oh, my God, Alicia, this is getting into the nitty gritty, the details. I don't want to do it. For those situations, I always ask, is there someone else on your team or someone else very close to you that you trust that we can work with? Because I get it, especially when you are the, at the top or the head of your company, or even as a solopreneur, you're the visionary. You don't always want to get bogged down into the, those nitty gritty minute details. And I understand that. So is there someone else around you or who may already be a part of your team who does like rolling up their sleeves and making sure every single I is dotted and every T is crossed? Let's work with that person.
1: Yeah, that's great advice. I like that because sometimes we're, some of us, maybe not you, <laughs> but sometimes I'm like really quick to say, okay, that's a person I don't really want to deal with. And, and I'll literally not even <laughs> offer business to somebody if it's somebody I don't want to deal with. That's just me. And I'm sure that's some solopreneurs, but I love the approach you have is that, okay, maybe this isn't a great fit one-on-one here, but I can still help you. And it doesn't mean that you can't get support from me and my company, or rather I'm going to make this in a different perspective. Yes. Who can I work with? that'll work. So I really appreciate that perspective. That's something that I think some of us, including myself, could really take the, the heart and say, but maybe I can change things up a little bit or find a way to support them in a different manner. Maybe my typical way of working doesn't work with that client, but there might be an alternative and maybe be open to those alternatives. So that's great.
2: That's a really good, point. I love the way he said that Steve, because I didn't think about it until listening to you just now, but there are times when I may say, you're not ready yet for an actual project or even for that assessment. So let me recommend you to the solopreneur success podcast and look for this particular episode, or there's an article that I'd like to send to you. Sometimes people just mentally, they aren't ready for it yet. And so if I can refer them to other books or podcasts or other resources that are out there to kind of help warm them up to the idea even more, I do that as well.
1: Yeah, that's a great idea too. Again, that's the resources we are talking about earlier, reading and sharing, listening and sharing. I love it when somebody shares my podcast, but it's not just about me. It's about, am I providing something of value to somebody? And it may not be from me. I have tons of books and I'm always sharing them. Sometimes I'll actually mail a book to somebody. It's like, just last week I had this book on my shelf and it's like, I was reading it and I was thinking of one particular person, happened to be a client of mine. And I said, you know what? This would be perfect for her. I actually just bought another copy and just sent it to her. You got to read this book. This is going to help you. And that's just part of being human and being yes. a person who cares and, and making a difference in somebody's life. And as business owners and solopreneurs, we ought to try to make a, a difference. That's, that's the whole point. We're solving problems, we're helping people. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that about you. Now, we're in the middle of COVID 19 as we, we record this interview. I'm curious, how has this impacted your business? Were you more in person before COVID or has it impacted you anyway?
2: So here's the thing, Steve. So many people that I would work with absolutely insisted on meeting in person. And I would try to gently stare them toward us working remotely. No, 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 I don't want to do it. Well, now they have no choice, right? So thanks to COVID-19, things that I had in the works, I would say for about the past two to three years, Steve, I'm now actually able to implement and execute. So I had already developed a program and a way to be able to work with people remotely because I also, I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. I also wanted to be able to do work with people in New Hampshire or Hawaii, wherever you are in the world. So I knew that I had to create or figure out a way to take what I was doing face to face and figure out how can I leverage technology to deliver those same services without compromising the quality remotely. So it just accelerated things that I had had in the works for the past two to three years. It just accelerated that effort.
1: Awesome. So tell me a little bit about one of those. What are you most excited about out of these new projects you're taking on?
2: So a big part of what I do is the process. And so many times clients, I would try to get them to use Zoom <laughs> as an example. I'll say, you know, we don't have to be in, I don't have to come to your place of business or I don't have to come to your home office we can actually do this by Zoom. We can, through the screen sharing mechanism, you can show me different files that you may want me to see, or even if there's something very specific in your office that you'd like me to take a look at, hey, as long as you have a camera on your your computer or even on your phone, if you're using Zoom from your phone, we can make this happen. Well, now, because of COVID-19, I am able to use Zoom. And we do judiciously use the screen sharing mechanism. So just as an example, Steve, I may actually map out a process for a company and we can actually use the screen share feature to walk through every single step. And as they, we can actually make updates in real time. So if you and I were were using Zoom to review a process that you're trying to get in place within your company, you would be able to say, well, you know what, Alicia, where you have step three, that really should be step five. And then let's, we're missing another step. Let's add something there. I can do that right there as we're talking in real time. And you would be able to see those those changes right there before your very eyes. So it's not the same as being in person, but it doesn't reduce the quality of the end product.
1: Yeah, certainly you're saving on travel time and expanding your geographical reach, as you mentioned. And that's really key. And I'm sure there's many solopreneurs that are already online, but there's some that are like, okay, I'm kind of geographically located in, in one small area or one metropolitan area, whatever it is. Like, how do I expand? And, and well, this is becoming kind of a, a blessing and a curse. You know, you get to look yes. at what what it is. And speaking of blessing a curse, you, you said before to me that this infrastructure itself is kind of a, a blessing and a curse. So, what do you mean by that?
2: What I mean by that, Steve, is there's a reason you've probably never covered this topic before on your show, and it's because it's not a very popular topic. And I'm doing whatever I can to personally help change that. But it's a blessing in the sense from a marketing perspective, there's not a lot of competition out there online, especially. So there aren't a lot of people in the world as of today that actually specialize and talk about business infrastructure. It's a curse because there aren't a lot of people out there in the world talking about it. So that means it makes it that much more challenging to get the word out about what you do. If I were selling insurance, for example, it's not nearly as difficult to educate people about insurance because most people have a very general working knowledge of what insurance is, right? when i go up to people and i talk to them about business infrastructure they're looking at me like what on earth is that so there's there's the education that comes first before you can even start talking to them about the value and how it works and why it's it would be beneficial that education piece takes a considerable amount of time
1: yeah and copywriting we talk about the awareness scale like are you moving away from unaware to fully aware of the problem or the challenge or what you might get out of this. And it totally impacts how you present your offer and, and your sales copy and everything. And that's the case with any kind of marketplace. Like, are you reaching people who already know they have a need? Maybe they know they, there's a problem. They don't know exactly how to put their finger on what the problem is. I think it's probably right. You're, you're kind of in the middle of that awareness scale that I have a problem. But I'm not sure how to solve it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not exactly sure how to fully define it, even. I just know I'm, I'm bogged down. I'm overwhelmed. I, I can't get ahead of my day. I need, somebody to help me, but they also need somebody like you to explain, okay, here's what the problem really is. And this is how we can actually approach solutions to that problem. I think that's really good that you picked that up and, and brought that forward. So let's talk about when, let's say that you have a client and they say, I am just so bogged down. What does it look like on the other side? And they have worked with you and I'm not sure what length of time it is. Is it like a three month process, a year process? Is it an ongoing process? Or maybe it varies based on client So what does that look like for somebody that comes to you and say, okay, I can breathe again. I'm actually moving forward in my business. What are the kind of wins people expect when they work with you?
2: A range of results. One, they have a team. They have the right people on their team. I should say that. That's very important. Another thing is they're already, these are companies that are making money. So bringing in customers isn't their issue, but they see a dramatic increase in customer retention. Because you can have a lot of customers coming through your doors, but a lot of them may be exiting as well and never coming back because they've had a bad experience because the company is growing fast and furious and everything is chaotic and your customers are thinking, oh my God, this is a mess. I will never do this again, or I will never do business with this company again. So they see an increase in customer retention. They also see an increase in customer satisfaction. That's a, a big one. And so, yes, we are measuring all of those different things. They also experience a significant increase in their capacity, their ability, again, to be able to deliver all of the goods and services and not have a backlog, for example. I mean, you were mentioning COVID-19. I mean, remember what happened with the toilet paper? Companies? Uh, yes. <laughs> I mean, that is a classic example of what we're talking about. These are companies who all of a sudden They don't have to promote what they offer because everyone knows what toilet paper is. However, because of this pandemic, all of a sudden you couldn't keep enough, these stores couldn't keep enough toilet paper on their shelves. So now they have this capacity issue that the companies that make the toilet tissue themselves. So this is what we're talking about when we mean having that ability to be able to increase your capacity while also increasing customer satisfaction, customer retention, increasing employee morale, increasing profitability. Because again, just because you're bringing money in, you may see an increase in your top line revenue. But what's happening ultimately at that bottom line? Because you and I both know you could be bringing in a lot of money, but you could also have a lot of money going out in form of various expenses. So we want to see top line and bottom line growth.
1: I like what you just said there, and I wanted to point out something else. I had an interview with a guy named David Safir recently, and one of the issues between the two is cash flow, because you may have great top line and bottom line, but you got to have the money in the bank. Yes. <laughs> and if you don't have the money and in the equity. bank, you can be growing super fast, and you can't keep up, and you can't even provide the products that you're selling because you've so outgrown yourself. So that's true. I came to mind, because you said you, do, you work with fast-growing companies, and that's a big challenge for those.
2: Yes. That is an excellent point because it's not enough to just look at profit. You're absolutely right. You also have to look at positive cash flow. Also, is there equity in your business? There's so much focus out there, especially as we go to these different small business workshops and things of that nature that focus on profitability. But yes, you're right. What about your cash flow? (laughs) It's hard to imagine even when the pandemic when the lockdown first happened here in America and we heard about companies like Delta Airlines for example oh we don't have enough cash to keep our employees. like what does that mean how do you, what do you mean you don't have enough cash because so many of us are thinking about their top line revenue and maybe even their bottom line but we don't have an appreciation for the fact that to your point they still may not have enough money cash money in the bank to cover their expenses
1: yeah absolutely and and a- I had a thought, here it is. Of so course, it's a of mine right oh, in the middle sorry. of the interview. What can I say? But that, no, it's not your phone. I was just thinking, you know, there's something else I want to share about this. And if it comes to me, I'll come back to it. That's okay. I know it's about, sol- that's what it was. You were talking about equity. And I was thinking in my mind, as you were saying that, that solopreneurs, we're often service-based professionals in many cases. and Sometimes we have products, but you can build equity even as a solopreneur. I just want to point that out to the listeners is that, yes, you can build products, you can build information products, you can build value in your brand and your customer base. I have a a friend uh, who built a web company and sold it, I believe it was in a seven-figure range, web development company. You can do those kind of things if you build properly and you build value and equity.
2: And can I please say something really important to that point? Because I want to make sure this is really clear to your audience. Sure. Especially for those of us who provide services, our knowledge in and of itself Has value. Get that knowledge onto paper in the form of your processes, your operations manual, whatever it ends up looking like. That becomes your company's intellectual property. And it does have a dollar value that can be assigned to it. So a lot of times I know we may be thinking, well, I'm just a freelancer, I'm working as an independent contractor, or I'm a solopreneur, there's no value in this. That absolutely is not true. Start taking your knowledge, the things that you do so well, get it documented. Have it assigned a valuation. Trust me, this is something that can make its way onto your company's balance sheet. So I just wanted to mention that, Steve.
1: Yeah, that's terrific. And remember, when you have it on your balance sheet, that means you might be able to take that to someone when you're ready to exit your business, because not everybody wants to work until they're dead. And if that's (laughs) the case for you, you might want to consider documenting these processes and. One of the things I do, and I've shared this with a number of people, and it almost invariably is like, wow, I like what you're doing there. And that's I use this, this Trello board I developed just for my podcast, mm-hmm. the processes and checklists and everything I do from the first time I think of even inviting somebody on the show where they ask to be on the show, all the way through post-production and everything in between. And that alone has value to people. So what can you document that you do right now in your business that would help you say, okay. Here's value because I'm documenting how I do things, why I do things, the decision-making process I, I go through. And that's what you're all about, Alicia, is you're all about processes. And you can help somebody with that. So if you don't know what to do, call Alicia. She'll help you. <laughs> so that's <a> great.
2: But <laughs> think about it, Steve. If you wanted to open up a Starbucks or any other type of franchise, you are literally buying their operations manual because yeah. they've already figured out the formula. And that's what other people are purchasing. And they spend good money to get that operations manual. So you can totally do the same thing for your business.
1: That's a great point because that's exactly what it is. That's what franchising is about. But whether you're doing a franchise or you simply want to exit, either way, it's going to help you. I know you mentioned to me earlier before the show, you said you have a lot of folks here listening that they may be working from home for the first time or or they're working from home because they're a solopreneur. And I'm looking around my desk right now, and I have a mess at the moment. And I clean it up and I organize, and it gets back to a mess again. And so I'm really excited about this next segment because we talked about doing this before the call. You say you have some home office setup tips for solopreneurs like us. So I would love to hear what you have to say, what we can do to improve our, our working environment because this is important.
2: Yes, there are two things I would say to focus on focus on your workflow and think about what type of Person are you when it comes to whether you are a visual learner or you are a person that prefers a paperless office? Because just because things may look aesthetically unpleasing to certain people, it doesn't mean that it's not functional. So what may look cluttered to one person may be completely functional for another person. What matters is your ability to be able to quickly find the information that you need when you need it. So for you, Steve, I know there's a method to the madness. Now (laughs) someone else may come in and say, oh my God, Steve, how do you function? But you know how to function because you know where everything is. Focus on that. So when I say workflow, for example, you have a podcast, I have a podcast. We know that there are pre-production activities, there's production activities, and then there's the post-production activities. You could very easily have a filing system set up or some type of inbox tray system where everything that pertains to pre-production is placed in this one particular inbox. Everything pertaining to production is placed in another. And then everything that pertains to post-production might be in that third inbox. You've pretty much created this assembly line effect that could be on top of your desk. Just using something as simple as little trays that you can buy from, I'm sure, anywhere online, Amazon, Target, Walmart, you can find these things very easily. And it looks like you already have one. Yeah, so you can't
1: see this, podcast <laughs> listeners, but I'm, I'm lifting up. I've got this, this, you know, <laughs> this file system with a pull-out drawer for everything that is like, up sure in the shirt to least you here on the video we're talking on.
2: So I would say think about your day-to-day activities, your day-to-day operations. What does it take to make it happen? So again, we're just using Steve and podcasting as an example, but think about your typical day. How does work actually flow from one stage to another? And again, if you are visual, you can use something as simple as these inbox tray systems or cubby holes, whatever you want to call them, as a means of being able to keep everything organized and having information move from one tray or one slot to the next. If you are if the thought of that would drive you absolutely insane and you prefer to be more digital or electronic that's perfectly fine as well. Have some digital folders set up. You can do all kinds of things to automatically move certain emails within your inbox so that you can start your your day each morning with a full cluttered inbox. You may have some alerts and rules set up where you can automatically filter through your emails and send them into certain folders and then Throughout your day, you can process the information within each folder as you'd like. There are just a myriad of things that you can do, Steve, but I always say, first, focus on your workflow and the type of of learner that you are, and that's a great starting point for getting your home office under control.
1: Yeah, I will second that point. I, I do systems all the time. Like my folders, I'm very diligent about how I name files, so you can easily sort them. So like, for example, if you're going to do dates, do that four-digit year and then the month and then the day. Mm -hmm. It's so much easier to find something if you're doing chronological, for example. And if you edit the file, it doesn't mess up your order. There's simple little things you can do like that that will help you just in your day-to-day when you're looking for stuff or uh, talking about emails. One of my clients that I've worked with a long time, uh, for the longest time, we use this kind of a system where we would prefix the subject line with a priority, high, medium, Mm -hmm. or M-E-D. Uh, low. So we had FYI, NRN, you know, no response needed. Don't bother replying at all because we're just going to waste everybody's inbox uh, valuable time here. And I've cut to the point where I don't really send a lot of emails unless it's important or if I'm building a, a relationship with somebody. But once I can begin working with somebody, it's very specific to, can I help somebody with this email? And if not, I'm not going to send it because I don't want to send an email that's just going to take more of their time. And there's a great tool out there called Active Inbox. And if you have Gmail, it's a wonderful <laughs> tool for project management in your inbox. I won't belabor that point in this interview, but I just want to mention that and look for that interview coming up, or maybe it'll be out by the time you hear this one. But activeinboxhq.com is the website for that. And Andy Mitchell, the guy who created, uh, wonderful guy who created a tool that saved a lot of time in my life. So I just want to point that out for, for listeners. Oh, Alicia, you also wrote a book about this whole business infrastructure idea. And for those who are trying to dig into this and say, well, I'm not sure I'm ready to hire somebody up, but I would like to learn more. I'd love for you to tell us about your book. It's called Behind the Facade. Tell us about that book and and why you wrote it and how it helps.
2: Sure. I decided to write the book, Steve, as a way of, to be perfectly honest with you, when I started getting into my 40s, it's funny how you start thinking about your own mortality. And I, I started thinking, okay, well, if I can't get this out to the world via expanding my team, what's something that I can do to at least start putting this into the hands of the masses as quickly as possible. And so a book was the way to do that, a great starting point in doing that at least. So the book actually its a true how-to book. So I always tell people, don't pick it up expecting to read it from beginning to end. It's almost like an academic novel because each chapter is a different story featuring a different entrepreneur as they're working through a specific growth challenge. So there's six different companies that are featured and the chapters are actually written to be standalone. So if you open the book and you read the table of contents and you see that there's something, oh, you know what? Yes, I would love to learn more about how to put together my own electronic records management system. I'm going to go to this specific chapter. You can do that, but it's going to tell you very specifically how to ultimately create this business infrastructure in your own business. This is a framework that I created. Many many years ago, and it's all highlighted in this book. And the subtitle is "How to Structure Company Operations for Sustainable Success." And it's the world's first book ever published on business infrastructure for small business.
1: Wow, that sounds like be really helpful. And I haven't actually seen the book except for you showed me on the video earlier. Well, I think we have to buy this now. That's great. Thank you for sharing that, Alicia. I'm thinking that's going to help a lot of us. These processes we want to place, so we're not always clear on what makes the most sense to approach a problem. And we kind of do it through trial and error, but I'm going to say right now, I haven't even seen the book. I'm just going to say, go get Alicia's book because if you can like <laughs> save yourself hours of just digging in research work just to get the idea of how do you approach the problem, that alone would be worth the price of any book. I don't care what she's charging for. I don't even know what she charges for it, but get the book because I'm going to get this. I'm going to literally go on Amazon right after this interview. I'm going to buy this book because this is okay. exactly the kind of thing I need to see. So awesome. So Alicia, one last question for us today. What's next for you in your business? I mean, you've been doing this, I think you said 15 years. What's coming up next on the horizon for you?
2: What's next is expanding my global reach. I am developing an affiliate program. So again, remember how we were talking about taking your knowledge and figuring out a way to package it? So that's what I'm working on. So I'm going to be doing more online courses where I train the trainer on my methodology, but also for... Other solopreneurs and entrepreneurs that are out there that again don't necessarily want to pay a consultant to come in and do this work. They maybe can take some courses and implement it themselves within their companies. So that's what's next. That's what's on tap for me.
1: Oh, that's awesome. And guess that's a business idea for some listeners, I'm sure, because maybe they're saying, like, I, I would like to have my own business. I'm not sure what to do, but maybe this whole idea of helping solve these kind of problems around business infrastructure kind of just tickles your fancy. First thing I would say, get Alicia's book. Secondly, visit Alicia's website because you're going to get a lot more understanding of what she's doing and how she's helping people there. And then reach out. Alicia, what is your website, by the way?
2: The best website to go to is aliciabutlerpierre.com. And that serves as a hub. You'll be able to get to the book from there. You'll be able to see my consulting website from there. You'll also see more information about my podcast, which is the Business Infrastructure Podcast. And you'll also have links to all of my online activities. So, SlideShare, YouTube, as well as LinkedIn and, and other platforms.
1: Fantastic. Well, this has been a great conversation. I sure appreciate you coming on with us today.
2: Oh, thank you so much, Steve. It was a lot of fun. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Solopreneur Success Podcast. We hope you discovered valuable advice on how to start and grow your own successful solopreneur business. If you liked the podcast, you'll love the all-new Solopreneur Success Connections community at solopreneurcoach.com. Here you'll get exclusive access to our private, members-only community of business builders, free business building resources, and live online monthly training designed to accelerate your business success. Join us now at solopreneurcoach.com.
1: Hey, solopreneurs, it's Steve Combs again. Just wanted to let you know that you can grab all the show notes for this episode at solopreneurcoach.com forward slash 039. Look forward to seeing you there.